0: This morning, I'd uh, I'd like to introduce you to an old friend of mine. Oh, not you, Robert. Um, (laughs) He's a really old friend, about a thousand years old. His name is Omar Khayyam. That's him. Omar Khayyam lived in Persia, And toward the latter part of his life, he moved out even farther. Persia seems alien to us. But he lived in Samarkand, which was in what is now Uzbekistan in the Soviet Union. And it was on the Silk Road, which included trade from the west to the east all the way to China. He was part of a country that then was controlled by the Arabs, but it also had the history of the Persian gods and the Persian experiences. And he knew about the gods of the Far East and so forth. He even knew a little about Europe, although Europe was going through the Dark Ages and Europe wasn't on the civilized radar of people in his world. This man was a mathematician, helped develop algebra and connected with geometry, solved some traditional, some a very key binomial equations, when people in Europe didn't even know what that meant, was also an astronomer and he studied the constellations of the stars, revised the solar calendar, And it's very, very accurate. In fact, his calendar is as accurate as anything we have today. Omar Khayyam. Now, we knew about all of that, but uh, in the early part of the 19th century, some manuscripts were discovered in uh, the Near East of writings that Omar Khayyam had done that were very philosophical and they were brought back to England and a man by the name of Edward Fitzgerald put them into poetry which has become classic in the Western world and, uh, and for a period of time and Victorian period everybody could quote from Omar Khayyam in the English translation. And here is a sample. He talks about our life journey and how short it is. A moment's halt, a momentary taste of being from the well amid the waste, and lo, the phantom caravan has reached the nothing it set out from. Oh, make haste, would you that spangle of existence, your life, a spangle of existence. Would you that spangle of existence spend about the secret? Quick about it, friend, a hair, perhaps, divides the false and true, and upon what, prithee may life depend? A hair, perhaps, divides the false and true. Yes, and a single aleph were the clue, but could you but find it to the treasure house, too, and peradventure to the master? Two, whose secret presence this is the way he defines God as he sees him through all these religions that he had experienced. His secret presence through creation's veins runs quicksilver-like. Quicksilver is mercury. You know, you put that down and it just kind of slithes off. Runs quicksilver-like eluding your pains, takes all the shapes from ma to mahi. What's ma? Well, it's the Iranian word for the moon. Some people worship the moon. What's mahi? Well, you've been to a restaurant. It's a word for fish. Mahi, we we call it that in some uh, restaurants today. People worship the moon. People worship fish. All of those are images of how people see God. They change and perish all, but he remains. Now, listen to this. This is how he sees God. A moment guest, a moment guest, then back behind the fold, immersed of darkness round the drama rolled, which for the past time of eternity he doth himself contrive and act. Behold. He sees God as hiding behind the curtains, tricking us, and he just does this for the pastime of eternity. And that's how God entertains himself, by fooling us. Well, my friend, I uh, don't know what his personal faith was like, but this has been a classic way of expressing the agnosticism that many people feel uh, their religion leads them to that God becomes more and more mysterious now notice he said you you're look you're looking for God in creation. well, he was the stars and and he saw the edge of the universe, the constellations he understood all of that, but what what we can see now through Telescope in space, the multi—I mean, unbelievable number of galaxies. I mean, it's all so much bigger, and therefore God is so much bigger than Omar Khayyam could have known. But this idea that God doesn't make himself clear to us—that he is unpredictable. Why does God surprise us? Well, here are some possibilities. One possibility is that God doesn't want to be known or understood. Another possibility is that he likes to surprise us and play games, as Omar Khayyam said. But a further possibility is that God is so immense so all-encompassing that he can't be contained or comprehended by the human mind. God surprises us ultimately because God is surprising. When we uncover something we didn't know about God, that doesn't mean we, that just came into being. That's always been true about God. We just didn't know it. But we like God to be manageable. We like God to fit in a box. And so we try to contain him that way. He doesn't fit. And so in our lives, we have to draw a larger box because God we see more of God. And then as we go through life, sometimes the box seems too big god cares about people that we don't think he should care about so we try to draw a smaller box we don't have the power to do this omar khayyam he he was a box drawer that was his mathematics and astronomy he drew boxes he wanted to understand things that fit into a pattern And God would never quite fit. But another religious tradition rose in the ancient Near East. We call it Judaism, the root of the Old Testament, which is the beginning of our faith. And as I understand it, in Judaism, God put himself in a box. God, the God of the universe, revealed himself to the Jewish people as Yahweh, as their personal God. In our English Bible, it comes across as Jehovah, but the Hebrew letters spell Yahweh, God's personal name. And he he made a box that they called the temple, and that's where he was to be worshipped. And then he put himself in the box of the tiny country of Israel in an obscure corner of the Middle East. And from within that box, he expanded the Jewish people's understanding of him. And that's what the Old Testament is all about. I'm going to take you on a little trip in uh, Psalm 104, and see how God reveals more and more of himself. In verse 1, it starts, inside my little box, bless the Lord, O my soul, now the word Lord is all caps, that means it's Yahweh, it's the God of Israel. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, wrapped in light as with a garment. You stretch out the heavens like a tent. You set the beams of your chambers on the waters. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride on the wings of the wind. You make the winds your messenger and fire and flame your ministers. You set the earth on its foundations. Now we're getting bigger. So that it shall never be shaken. You cover it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they flee. The sound of your thunder they take flight. They rose up to the mountains, ran down the valleys, to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, So they might not again cover the earth. All of this includes the power of God, or is under the control of God. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills, giving drink to every wild animal. The wild asses quench their thirst by the streams. The birds of the air have their habitat. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the cattle and plants, for people to cultivate, to bring forth fruit from the earth. Here is God, the God contained in the temple box, the God contained in the Jewish religion, showing that he is the God of all creation. Verse 16, and the trees of the field are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests. The stork has its home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the conies. You have made the moon. Oh, he's taken off from earth now. You have made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. Can can you doubt that if he lived today, with the science we have today, that he would include all the galaxies in the universe. Because his, his view of God is expanding as he worships God. Uh, and then he goes on uh, making darkness and day. And then in verse 21, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they withdraw, lying down in their dens. People, Finally, we get to people. I mean, all of that is, is God's domain. But people, verse 23, people go out to their work and to their labor until the evening. Oh, Lord, how manifold are your works. How manifold are your works. Isn't that powerful? He's just shown you how manifold they are. But if you can imagine anything else, God is the creator. God is the inspiration. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. And he goes on and on, talking about the human experiences. And down, finally, in verse 33, he comes back to his personal experience. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. What do you know about Job? Have you ever read the book of Job, just taken it in? Job was a, a rich man, rich in many ways. He had everything, and then he lost everything. And he was caused, this caused him to question God. He had all sorts of questions about God because the box of his life had exploded and his life was governed by a belief in God. But now, where was God? Because the box was not there anymore. He had been honest, he lived a good life, he followed the rules, He tried to help others. That was the box he lived in. Why, God? And if you look in Job chapter 38, I'm just going to tease you with the beginning, but when you go home, uh, you have to promise me, put your hand up. Good, okay. That you will read from chapter 38 on. Because the Lord speaks to Job, Out of a whirlwind. God ever send a whirlwind to get your attention? Well, he did that with Job. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. Well, that's kind of uh, not feminist. But you get the point. You think you're somebody, stand tall and answer me. I will question you, you declare unto me. And then he has this whole series of questions. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined this measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the, the line upon it? Or what where, it's, where were its bases? On what were its bases sunk? Who laid the cornerstone when the morning stars sang together? All the heavenly beings shouted for joy. Where were you? Were you there giving me advice? And he goes on and, and then Job says, oh, I, I shouldn't have spoken. But God's not done with him yet. And so he goes on more. And the more he talks to Job about who God is, about his revelation of himself, The more Job realizes that he's had it all wrong. The box that contains God is not this big, as wonderful as Job's life is, but it is this big. And God is not trying to hide himself, He's not trying to surprise us, but we just can't take it all in. And when we find out something new about God, we are surprised. But that's not because God has changed. That's just because we've seen a new facet of him that we didn't appreciate before. So you've made your promise uh, to all of us that you're going to read chapters 38 to 42 and take this in. God surprises us because we forget how surprising he really is Many people think God is unpredictable. Omar Khayyam did. Because he doesn't do what they want him to do. He he doesn't operate the way they think God would or should. But God has revealed himself, as Psalm 104 and Job tell us. God has told you how big a box he occupies. We just haven't been listening. He's told us about himself, his love, his generosity, his power, his mercy, his plans, his knowledge, and we just have to expand our view of him. Remember uh, that great theologian, uh, Forrest Gump, <laughs> he sat there and, uh, with a box of chocolates, and several people came by. He tried to engage in conversation. He scared most of them away. But what he said was, life, my mama used to tell me, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And, and I, I, I understand what he was saying. But last week, we got our box of C's chocolates from the Youth Sales Project. And we opened the box. To get to the chocolates, you have to lift a picture of what's in there. And, and so C's candy tells you what you're going to get. Now, that chart is kind of like the Bible. There's a lot in there about the Bible, and we're so anxious to get that chocolate (laughs) that we run right by it, and we, we don't fully understand what God has revealed about himself. And of all the surprises that we've discovered about God, the one that he discloses in our New Testament is maybe the greatest one, and that is Jesus, God's ultimate surprise. Jesus, in a small country, poor family, he was born of a virgin. How many surprises have we had already? The name Messiah? was attached to him, but he didn't seem to be a conquering messiah. In his early 30s, he started preaching and teaching, and he was rejected and tortured and ultimately crucified. While he was teaching, he often shared with the people who were listening to him that they ought to be ready for surprises. Because God has sent him to tell them about surprises. John the Baptist had gone before him. And Jesus said, well, who do you think John the Baptist was? And they all gave different answers. And he said, what did you expect of him? What did you expect? Because that's not the way he came. He came humbly. And then the Son of Man comes humbly. What do you expect? There's one of his teachings toward the end, Matthew 24. About that day and hour, Jesus said, No one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father, for as the days of heaven of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. Surprise! And uh, and then uh, he said, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. The two, then two, verse 40, will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two will be grinding meal together. One will be taken, the other left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Now, this prophecy has to do with his second coming. But his second coming for you could be the day you die. That could be today. You do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the house the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake, would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. Be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He's in the box. It's predestined. But that box is far bigger than your mind. And your logic will never be able to understand it. So expect the unexpected. When you're dealing with our God, surprise. Surprise. Lord, thank you for patiently laying out before us all we need to know. We also thank you that, that we don't know everything because we couldn't handle it. Help us humbly to follow you, to be ready, even if we don't understand the day or the hour, to expect the unexpected, and to know that you have our eternal best interests in mind. Thank you for the box of chocolates. Thank you for all the things we enjoy in life. Help us to know that the manufacturer has done what is good for us in putting our life together. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.